Hey, thanks for tuning in to Acts 23, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. Tonight, I'm going to have to go very fast. We're covering 36 verses in the second chapter of the book of Acts. So if you want to go ahead and find it in your Bible, you can. But I just want to make this announcement. I don't know if it's announcement, celebration, whatever it is, but we had a team of guys go into the jail as we do every Tuesday night between seven and eight. We have men and women that go in. If you want to be a part of that jail ministry, just let us know. Joe, Carmen, uh, they can help you out. Uh, with that, get, getting applied for that and qualified for that and all those good things. But we had seven men last night in the Scott County Jail who received Jesus to be their personal Lord and Savior. Isn't God good? <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been misunderstood? How did it feel whenever you were misunderstood? <laughs> Absolutely terrible. I, I mean, I, I don't, I've, I've been in places to where I tried to explain myself. I was misunderstood. So I backed up a little bit. I rethought what I was thinking and what I was saying and how I was saying it. Made sure that I adjusted my words and redefined those words and then said it in a different way, hoping that I would be understood instead of misunderstood, only to be misunderstood twice, just with different words. You ever been there before? It's misunderstood, misunderstood, misunderstood. But whenever you, whenever you finally break through the barrier of that communication uh, blog there and, and, and somebody gets what you're saying and all of a sudden there, there's communication, the light bulb goes off and now we're talking and we're communicating and we're understanding each other, then boom, feels so good, right? Feels so good. It doesn't even have to be anything important, honestly. It can be anything. It can be just something about your day. It can be a story you were telling. This is my worst, right? I have had plenty of people tell me, I don't need you to do it. I have plenty of people tell me, Andy, you can't tell a joke. You always blow the end of it. And I probably do, but that's where I find a lot. It doesn't have to be necessarily something serious. It can be something frivolous. It can be something simple. But none of us want to be misunderstood. We're going from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 2. If you remember in Acts chapter 1, we divided it into two different sections, kind of an introduction into the book of Acts, which is the continuation story of the gospel according to Luke. Luke is the one that God used to write the book of Luke and also the book of Acts. It is a letter to Theopolis, a Gentile friend of his, to where he was encouraging to trust in Jesus, to be his Lord and Savior. And so the story continued. And then last week we saw where there was saga within leadership. And we saw where the book or the chapter one of of Acts concluded with kind of a sad note. Judas died. He went to his own place. They replaced him with Matthias. Now we're in chapter two. You guys do me a favor. Reach over and grab the seatbelt and buckle up. Okay, if you have access to Spotify, Apple Play, whatever our podcast is on, this will be on the podcast. Acts chapter two, tonight we're gonna look at a fulfilled promise. I'm gonna read through these verses as quickly and as good as I can. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each, each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And they were, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Eliamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and figure five, yeah, that place, Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, those who were converted by Judaism, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in, catch this part, doubt. Confused, they didn't know exactly what to believe at the moment. Say one to another, what meaneth it? What does this mean? And others mocking, catch that part. There's some who have honest doubts and some who have dishonest doubts. Mocking, saying, these men are full of new wine. Verse 14, but Peter standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said unto them, he gave them a very terrible excuse for what verse 13 says. Verse 13, that these dudes are drunk and Peter's only excuse is, no, it's 9 a.m., we ain't drunk. Let me say this, you guys got better excuses than that, okay? Jesus changed my life, I don't do that kind of stuff. Anyway, there's a lot more answers than what Peter gives here. He says, you may have... Side note, you men of Judah and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day from sunrise, which would have been around 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. It gives us hope right there at the end. Verse 18, and on, and on my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out in those days my spirit, capital S, and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Are y'all keeping up with me on the screen? They're doing pretty good, aren't they? Verse 20, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Verse 21, and it come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear ye these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. It's not a secret thing done in a corner. It's a very publicized thing. Him... <clears throat> Being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is the plan of God. There's a plan A, no need for plan B, it's Jesus. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible. Ooh, glory. I'm finna get excited right here. That he should be holding of it. Jesus kicked death in the teeth. 
For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Hang on to that. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brothers, done quoting David here, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, he is the descendant of David and he has the rightful heir to the king of the throne, Jesus is, the lineage of David. According to the flesh, he would raise up Christ, the anointed one, who is Jesus, to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. Second phrase using that. Neither did his flesh, or neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise, it's a fulfilled promise, of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended up into the heavens, but he that sa he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, two capital L's, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy, thy foes thy footstool. The last verse we'll read. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, without a doubt. They were doubting, remember? Now, you don't have to doubt that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Whew. All right, guys. That is a lot of verses. We could easily sit in here two and a half, three hours and go verse to verse. I don't know if my voice could last that long at the end of a long Wednesday, and I don't know if your rear end could last that long on the backside of a long Wednesday. <laughs> but, but what we are going to do is we're going to take these 36 verses, and we're going to divide it into three different categories. And in the three different categories, hopefully, we're going to hit at least a majority of the thoughts that are formed through these passages. The first thing that you'll notice in the first 15 verses is there is a promise of a filling spirit who would give evidence that those who have trusted in Jesus are filled by God's spirit and now evidence through a specific gift, which is the gift of tongues. How many of you guys ever had questions about what is the gift of tongues? How is the gift of tongues used? How come I know some people who may experience the gift of tongues or evidence that out and I don't? And man, there's so many questions around the gift of tongues. I want you to understand real quick that the book of Acts is a transitional book, right? When you rightly divide the word of truth, the only way to come away from it with a balanced perspective of the truth of God's word is to put it within its context and make sure that you're rightly dividing. That's what we're told to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And how do we do that? Well, we take it first and foremost in its most basic principles. We see that the Bible is divided into two categories, Old and New 
Testament. But even more than that, there are the books of history and there are the books of poetry. And this is not defaming or devaluing the word of God. As a matter of fact, if anything, it is reminding us of the creativity of who God is and how he uses everything that he's placed in our life. There's also books that are books of history that are books of transition. Give you an example, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament is a book of transition. Why? Because Moses is dead, Joshua comes, and then they're going to be transitioning sooner uh, than later because the book of Judges is there, and they still don't have leadership. And then kings come. And it establishes something a little more solid in history. Well, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the story of Jesus' life. It is some references to him as a baby and some as a toddler and some as a 12-year-old boy. But the majority of the Gospels is the last three and a half years of Jesus' life, in particular to the last few weeks of his life. And then we've got the book of Acts. What did the disciples of Jesus do in response to his death, burial, and resurrection? Jesus did what he said he would do. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he gave the mantle of his ministry to these 11 misfits. It's kind of funny how when you read the Bible, you see that oftentimes God uses the most unique of people. It's kind of funny that whenever we gather together, we look around at each other and we see that sometimes God uses the most unusual people. Right? <laughs> he ain't quit doing that, right? And so, so what we find is acts of the apostles. They are continuing to do this. And, and so what was the promise of chapter 1, verse 8? We'll wait in Jerusalem. And, and they're doing that at the, the tail end of the first part that we learned in verse 14, 15, and 16. They're waiting in the upper room and they're praying and they're in one accord and, and, and they're in unison, 120 people that are there and they're waiting on the promise of God. And guess what? God's promises are always fulfilled. You didn't hear me. God's promises are always Fulfilled. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Verse 1 even tells us, man, I ain't got time to go through all these verses. But verse 1, he says, when the days of Pentecost had fully come. Man, if, if they would have flaked out three hours before the days of Pentecost had fully come, they might have missed out on the greatest experience of their life. They might have said, God ain't a God of promise. God ain't going to show up. God said it. We've been waiting and God ain't here. And my clock is, is running fast. Let me say this real quick. God's promises are not dictated by your demands. Yes, you can claim the promises of God. You can thank God for his promises, but his promises come on his watch, not yours. And the fact of the matter is, I kind of like that because he knows better than I do. He knows what's around the corner. He knows when I need it. It's like a dose of medicine. If I'm not careful, I'll take it when I ain't sick. You feel me? And God knows when I need it. That's when the promises come. And the promise is coming. And so how does he fulfill that promise? He gives these 120. For years as I've studied this passage, I focus solely on Peter. And we do a lot of times, and I may continue to do that in referencing back just for the sake of time. Peter was the spokesman. Peter was kind of number one disciple. 
And he will preach and we'll talk about that preaching out of Joel chapter 2 verse 28 through 33. That preaching that he used, he was kind of the figurehead that was out there. But there was 120 people in the upper room. The scripture says 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak boldly with tongues. Man, I don't know what that does to you. But this is what we do with the word. We read it. We rightly divide it. And if it reshapes our understanding of God or other scriptures or how we experience life, we adjust ourselves to it. We don't adjust it to us. You know what I'm saying? And, and so this is, this is what's happening. All of a sudden, 120 people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they go out in the public. The, the, the scripture says that there is a mighty rushing wind. There is a cloven tongue that represents they are now like Jeremiah says that this word is in me like a, a fire in my bones. I can't shut up. It's like this fire now to where I've got to go speak. It was... An impulsion, it was a compulsion. It was, it was I can do nothing less. I don't, have you ever, you ever been like that? You, you've got some news and you can't help but to tell somebody. It's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You don't even got Twitter, but it's on Twitter now. You know what I'm saying? You calling people left and right. You talking to people you ain't talking to. Ten, you talking to people you've been mad at for 15 years. You telling everybody because it's just in you. You got to say it. And, and so at this moment, the spirit of God feels and the demonstration of the filling of the Holy Spirit is the, the speaking in tongues. What is, what is tongues? You, you look in this. There, there's two main passages that we'll start off when we think about the promise of the filling of the Holy Spirit evidenced through the expression of the gift of tongues. Two passages of Scripture that I want to real quick go over with you. First of all, Genesis chapter 11 and Acts chapter 2. Andrew, why are you going all the way back to Genesis chapter 11? If you'll remember, Genesis chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. How many of you guys remember that? There's a, there's a real cool guy named Nimrod. Anybody ever been called Nimrod? Anybody ever called somebody Nimrod? Y'all laughing because y'all know that ain't something you want to get called, right? It means you dummy. Back in that day, he was a, he was a man hunter. He was, he, was, he was a leader. He influenced people. As a matter of fact, he influenced a lot of people. And they were going to build a tower unto heaven. And he was going to set his throne on top of that tower. Everybody had the same language. But the problem was, even though they had unicy, unison in their work and in their language, they didn't have unity with God because they were trying to make their own way to heaven. Early on in the Bible, 11 chapters in, and they're building a tower to heaven. And so what does God do? He smites the languages. They disperse from the tower. They stop their labor. And they don't make their own way to heaven. And then later the gospel is preached. The gospel is lived. Jesus dies. He's buried. He's raised from the dead. He did that so we could be forgiven of our sin. Your work and your effort to make your only to heaven does not do it. But trusting in the work and the effort of Jesus has already done it. And you trust and receive it by faith in Jesus. He made the way. And when Jesus made the way, God is willing and ready to speak. And God wants to speak. And God has already been speaking through flesh because Jesus is God in flesh. And he wants to continue 
to speak through flesh. And so how does he do that? The gift of tongues. Tongues, uh, in particular in the original language, it means dialect. I love how specific God can be. It's not just that there is a language that is spoken. If you'll go back and read, you'll see that there were 13 plus different nationalities that heard the preaching of the good news of the gospel in their own language. Here is these 120, obviously Galileans, and speaking in a dialect from Galilee, not just in Hebrew, but a specific Hebrew known to that native area, but as they're preaching, they're hearing it in their own specific language and dialect. It's an amazing thing. I'm not going to stand up here and, and, and pretend like I understand everything about that. I've, I've, I've learned to be okay to let miracles be mysterious. <laughs> I have to be. Otherwise, I'm going to go nuts, Right? How can I understand Jesus who is clean touches a leper in his leprosy that is unclean and Jesus is not contaminated and yet he's healed? I can't fathom it. Most people I know when they get sick, they like sharing their sicknesses. A lot of people who are healthy, they ain't running around sharing healthiness. And they, that happens. This is, a, this is a miraculous thing that, that has taken place. And, and this, this 120 who have the Spirit of God who has filled them and this mighty rushing wind and this cloven tongue of fire above their head, they go out and they're preaching. But I understand this too, and you've got to get this. There are two crowds out there. There are some who have honest doubts but are ready to believe. And you've got some who have dishonest doubts and no matter what, they won't believe. You need to hear this. There were some who said, how is it that we hear them speaking in their tongue and we hear it in our tongue? They heard something even though they might have questioned what they heard. Don't understand it yet. They had doubt, but later Peter preaches and removes their doubt. There's no excuses anymore. Now you know that was one crowd, but there is another crowd out there who after hearing the same exact thing, says these men are drunk. You ever been around somebody drunk? You might have been that person. You know how they talk? Yeah. It's, it's oftentimes you get drunk enough, don't nobody understand what you're saying. And can't nobody interpret that. <laughs> They say, they say, these men are drunk. Peter says, no, lamest excuse ever in the Bible for, for, the, for, for being blamed of drinking. It's just nine o'clock in the morning. It's not, we're not drunk. And so, but, but this is the distinction. You've got some honest doubts, some dishonest doubts. With honest doubts, they say, we've heard. We, we, we kind of see what's going on. Man, I want this. The other ones that says, no matter what you say, I ain't going to get it. Because they don't want it. Right? Let me encourage you always to be the one who is open, ready to receive and get it and not be the one who is saying, I don't want it no matter what it is. You might turn away something good, right? 
And, and so the Spirit of God is moving. All right, so, so let's talk just a, a minute more about the, the promised filling of the Holy Spirit evidenced through the gift of tongues, verses 1 through 15. If you're doing study, remember, don't, don't forget, compare Genesis 11 to Acts chapter 2. But there's three primary uses when we move from this book of transition in the book of Acts. Might, might as well go ahead and say this too. Acts chapter 19, we're going to get to it eventually. The first seven verses is going to kind of throw a curveball at us again, okay? A book of transition. There are those who have heard of Jesus. They've turned away from their sins. They've placed their faith in the Lord, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. And they haven't evidenced that through the, through the gift of speaking in tongues. We'll discuss that later. Don't think we're going to avoid that. We're going to hit that head on. But three things when we think holistically about the Bible, about the gift of tongues. First and foremost, it is a gift given for evangelism. It is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but also 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 22. Be on the screen. Drum roll please. Wherefore tongues are for a sign. Listen. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. And so you've got what, what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is drawing the difference, the separation between two very well-known and sought-after gifts that confuse the church at Corinth. I want to prophesy. I want to speak in tongues. Well, let's balance this thing out and see how it works. The Holy Spirit gave Paul this information to write, not just for Corinth, but for us. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. There is two public uses of the gift of tongues. One is is evangelism so that the good news of the gospel gospel, gospel can try to do this quick can be proclaimed right and so Acts chapter 2 the gospel is being proclaimed the second use of the gift of tongues is for the encouragement and the edification the building up of the church 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse go to verse 5 we're going to skip this and come right back to it should be the next one, yeah. I would that ye spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speak with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edification. If there is a public speaking of tongues within the gathering of the church, there is to be an interpreter who would stand with the gift of interpretation, like one who would have the gift of tongues, and they would interpret what that other person said so that there is an understanding for all and not just a few. Are y'all bored yet? Y'all with me? Still buckled up? All right. And so those are the two public uses of tongues. The third use of tongue is not a public use, but a private use. And I'm just going to drop the mic right here and tell you, I don't understand this. I don't. Some of you guys may. I don't understand this. This is verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14 the gift of a prayer language or tongues within prayer. He said, for for if I pray in an unknown tongue. Now I use the King James Version of the Bible and the word unknown is italicized meaning for the English language as it is transliterated from the Greek to the English. Please raise your hand if you think I'm going too far with this. But it is a filler word to help the, the, the language be exposed and understood. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Paul says I'm praying in the spirit and I'm praying in a tongue, but I don't know what I'm saying. 
So people struggle with that. There's two different camps when they come to the gift of tongues. It is the camp that says tongues has ceased. It no longer exists. Like the gifts of miracles and healings and things like that. And then there is a camp that says, no, no, no. God can still do whatever God wants to do anytime God wants to do it. And I'm on that side of it, right? Right? God can do whatever he wants to anytime he wants to. And so he says this in verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I don't always pray in an unknown tongue that I don't understand with my, my knowledge and my spirit is benefiting. But he says, I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. He says, you know, I don't always get it, but I'm always going after it. I think that's key for all of us in everything principled in, in the scriptures, right? Don't always get it, but I'm always going after it. Else when thou bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen and give thy thanks, uh, giving of thanks, seeing he understands not what you said. There is a right place for this gift and there is a wrong place for this gift. There is a right using of this gift and there is a wrong using of this gift. And I think what our problem has been is we have so misunderstood this over the years and there has been an abuse of this over the years. We either run to it and say, you know what, I don't, I'm just gonna go ahead and embrace this or I'm running as far away from it because it scares the crap out of me, right? And so this is where I've landed. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39 through 40. I don't know if that's on the screen or if I included it, but if y'all can put it up there, that would be great. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 and 40. Me and a friend of mine for years used to wake up about four o'clock in the morning, lay face down on a sanctuary of a church where I pastored, and we sought the Lord two or three hours for this gift. Because I figure if it's a gift, it's given. I figure God's not a selfish giver of any gifts. I figure if I sought after it, God would give it. And I figured if it got me closer to God, then I wanted it. And so I sought God. And I sought God. And it didn't happen for me. And I came away thinking, man, God, you got favorites? I know some that do. And man, they get so much fulfillment from it. And I don't. And this is where I've landed with this. I was satisfied to covet the greater gift. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 concludes with the idea of the body working itself together for the purpose of edification, building it up, and they were fighting over who would get the stage to either prophesy or speak in tongues without an interpreter. And Paul says, you covet after the greater gift. Chapter 13, what's 1 Corinthians 13? Chapter of love. And I said, God, if I don't get that gift, at least give me a double dose of love so I can share love. And even though sometimes theologically speaking, tongues may be a divisive thing, love never is. I may not be able to speak with the tongues of men or angels, but I can say, I love you. Forgive me. I want to help you. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? And, and so what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39 and 40, and you guys might want to write this. Oh, look, there it is. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and he says this, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Do everything you do. Let everything be done with decency and order. Years ago, I used to say, hey, man, you can't do that here. I've learned to say, you know what? <laughs> I don't fully understand or wrap my mind around it. I ain't got it, but if you got it, go. You know what I'm saying? Y'all okay with that? It don't matter. It's the Bible. All right. The second thing... <clears throat> 
The promise filling of the Holy Spirit, evidence through the gift of tongues, that's one through 15. The second section of that though, the promised prophecy of Joel verses 16 through 21. And it is a reference to Joel chapter two, verse 28 through 32. There is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. There is visions and dreams, which in the Jewish mind, this seems a little bit backwards when you say that there is visions given to the old men and dreams given to the young men. There is prophecies and signs of wonder, even the moon into blood and, 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 and the sun turned into darkness and all these things that Joel spoke of hundreds of years before and we could look at all of that and we could say was that meant for that day or for another day to come or does it have a dual purpose and meaning and I'm just going to be honest with you I'm like you know I know the blood the, the, the sun darkened out when Jesus was on the cross but also I know in the book of Revelation that it says that the sun will be darkened out so when was that be I'm not real sure but th this is this is what I want to say verse 21 has caught my attention and I guess I'm at this point in my life, I'm okay without the miracle of all those other things as long as in some small way I can be a part of the miracle of this thing. Verse 21, he says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You want me to tell you what I, I love more than anything? I, I, I definitely love to see sick people healed. We've seen sick people healed. We've seen sick people healed in eight years of this ministry, right? The anointing of oil and the praying over by faith has received those who are sick. That's happened, and it's going to continue to happen. But I know this, that this body ain't going to last forever, and if it's healed once, it's healed for a moment, and it's going to get sick again, and this body is not going to last forever, and it's going to die and so what happens after death? And I want you to be healed and I want you to be healthy and I don't want you to be sick. But more than anything, I want you to be saved. You know what I'm saying? I want you to be saved. And, and so th this, is, this is the prophecy there of Joel 2.32 is saying the same thing. And, and that's what Paul later said. And we say it a lot. Romans chapter, chapter 10 verse 13. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. That's the second thing. There is the, the promised filling of the Holy Spirit evidenced through the gift of tongues. There is the promised prophecy fulfilled of Joel preached by Peter. And then there is a promise of a resurrection. Not just our resurrection. When we frame it like that with our words, sometimes we put it to us. There is a promise of a resurrection. Hallelujah. One day, my body will be planted as a seed in the ground in a grave somewhere. Let Jesus come back and I'm going to be resurrected from the dead and I will ascend into heaven. This corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. All of a sudden, my scars will be gone. No metal in my right ankle. My back won't hurt. When I wake up in the morning, I won't wake up in the middle of the night with indigestion. Praise Jesus. But it's, Actually speaking, more than that, uses two different guys in that one is David, but the other is Jesus. He speaks of David, and David's tomb is here. His grave is here. He even references back and says he's not yet risen from the grave. His body is still in the grave. But then he says two things about a prophecy of David about Jesus. And he uses this phrase. He says, you will not allow my soul to remain in hell. Jesus' soul in hell? What is that all about? Man, I'm geeking out big time tonight. 
Are y'all with me? Y'all looking like a calf at a new gate. So, so here we are. Peter's preaching. He's inspired. The Holy Spirit is inside of him. He's been speaking in tongues. It's a mysterious thing. He don't understand it fully. They don't understand it fully, but it's happening. And the message is getting across. And now here he is. And he says, you, you won't, your Holy One won't see Christ. Prophesied hundreds of years before. I think if I would have been in the crowd, if I wouldn't have been quite so mesmerized by all that had happened, I might have would have said, okay, Peter, you got to define that a little bit more. There is a popular thought of soul sleep, that when a person dies, their soul goes into a hibernation-type sleep process. Their body goes to the grave, and their spirit ceases to exist until both are awakened and arrives together. I don't believe that. I believe 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse, or excuse me, chapter 5 verse 7 where it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, so what is this talking about? This term hail is actually the word Hades in the original language and that is the place of departed souls. It is when before the resurrection of Jesus, those who died went to a chasm, not like Catholics believe purgatory. That's on a Zoom call when you're waiting forever. For those of you who have to do Zoom, you know what I'm talking about. Or you're on hold for something on your phone. So it was according to Isaiah chapter 5 verse 14, according to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7, 8, and 9, according to Luke chapter 16, if it was a parable, it was the only parable in which Jesus used an actual person's name, Lazarus, who was in Abraham's bosom, and he was separated in a great gulf, and on the other side, there was the rich man who fared sumptuously and died and was in torments. When Jesus rose from the dead, hell hath enlarged itself. Those who were in the paradise side, those who were in Abraham's bosom, were resurrected from the dead because according to Matthew chapter 27, those who were dead in Christ before resurrected and marched through the, the, the streets of Jerusalem as an evidence that Christ is who he says he is and he had done what God had asked him to do by laying down his life. He raised it up again and now there's the first fruits resurrection. Man, we're, we're living the dream tonight. The promise of resurrection. Greg, where you at? We should have broke this down into like 17 series. So those three thoughts, a promise fulfilled of resurrection. Jesus laid his life down. He received it again. He conquered death. And because he conquered death, those of us by faith who have trusted in Jesus have also already conquered death. We've conquered death. That's right where the elder, you can clap loud, get them to clapping. So what's the big picture here? What's the big picture? Here's what the big picture is of, of these verses. First of all, God can do what he wants to do to get his message across. You don't get to dictate that and I don't get to dictate that whether we understand it or not. God can do what he wants to do to get his message across. He has an objective. It's to share truth that transforms and he's willing to do what's necessary to get that message across. 
Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. Did you know that with the rising of the sun and the setting of it, with all of creation, God is speaking? Listen to what the psalmist says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is going out throughout all the earth and their works to the end of the world in them, he has said, a tabernacle for the sun. And he just continues to verse seven and says, the law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul. God uses creation to speak. God is a God of revelation. He reveals himself generally through creation. He reveals himself specifically through the word of God and by his Holy Spirit, who is the one who breathes inspiration in his word. The question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are you hearing? You got to be real careful. You got to be one who hears. Yeah, God can do what he wants to do to get his message across. The second thing, the big picture is God uses who he wants to use to get his message across. Don't be so surprised in whom he might use to speak his message. <laughs> if, if, you, if you know anything about the Bible, he's used a donkey to get a prophet that was wayward's attention he used a, a rooster to crow at a certain time to help Peter reevaluate his motives and his actions and his intentions. He, he, in the Old Testament, used false prophets to speak. I'm right now reading in, in, in 2 Samuel, been reading through 1 and 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 9 through 10, David is running from Absalom. Absalom, his son, is coming to kill him. There's division in the kingdom. And all as a result, a consequence of sin. Let me just say this. You can't avoid the consequence of sin. Be not deceived, God is not malt. Whatsoever you sow, that shall also reap. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit of the spirit, you reap everlasting life. This kind of sounds weighty, but then he says, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. David, although he did a lot of great things, there were great consequences for great things, but there were also Negative consequences for negative things. And he committed a sin with Bathsheba. And because of that, Nathan the prophet said, the sword won't leave your house. There's going to be division. And with a situation in his home that we can't really get into, Absalom is now thwarting against his kingdom. He has, he has stolen the hearts of the men of Israel. And now David is on the run again. It seems like David was running a lot. And then notice what it says in this passage. David is going to Mount Olivet, then says, Brother A, the son of Brother Z, unto the king, why should this dead dog curse my Lord the king? Let me go over there. I pray you, I'm begging you, and take his head off. A guy named Zilba lived around that area. David's coming through running. Zilba knows King Saul. He was a friend of King Saul. He knew about all that happened with David. David took the throne of Saul. And he comes out and begins to throw stones at David. And he's cursing David. Even before he gets out of the door of his house, he's cursing him. Not cursing him like we use curse words, but putting a curse on him. And David the king says, listen to this. What have I to do with you, ye son of Brother Z, 
So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, curse David. Who shall say then, wherefore hast thou done so? Let me put it, that's King James, let me put it in our language. David said, man, don't take that guy's head off. David, David's pretty upset right now. David's hurt. His son's coming after his kingdom. His house is divided. There's a lot of trouble that's going on. I don't know if you've ever been in a family where it's just trouble, 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 right? Trouble may be because of you, but trouble, trouble, trouble. And David's there. This guy's throwing stones at him. He's saying, you're the problem. You're the reason this has all happened. David, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. David has already repented through a psalm called Psalm 51. He's already brought it before the Lord. The Lord has forgiven his sin, but there's still consequence for his sin. In this moment, I want you to understand two things about David. David feels shame. Let me say this. If you've asked Jesus to forgive you, you don't have to wear shame no matter who brings it up again. Come on. You don't have to keep wearing that shame if God's forgiven you. And David is feeling this shame. But one good thing David says, he says to this guy who's wanting to take Zilba's head off, he says, I don't know if God spoke to him even in this moment to say those things to me to get my attention. He said, I would rather weigh it out and see if this is God because if it's not God, God will fix it. He says that later. But if it is God, I need to hear it. Sometimes you'll reject the message because the method in which the message came. You said, I don't want to hear it. You say, I don't do that kind of stuff. Get in a fight with your spouse and let your spouse tell you the truth and see how quick that happens. Right? I ain't listening to you. I know it's true. Shut up. Right? Yeah. Any loved one. So it's, God is a God who is willing to use anyone to get across his message. Have you seen that before? The last thing, and we're getting ready to wrap this up. God wants to use you to get his message across. And he may just do it in an unusual way. <laughs> he, it, it, the, the most shocking thing might be the first part of that, that God wants to use us. Right? God wants to use you. Every person in here, look at me real quick. God wants to use you. I don't know what side of that you're on. God may need to do some things in your life before he uses you, but God wants to use you. God created you intentionally on purpose. God has sought you out way before you were even thought of by your grandparents, much less your parents. He has been looking for you with his loving kindness. He has been drawing you. He's been coming after you. And he's going to keep coming after you. He wants to use you. God don't create junk. Sin has interfered with that. But God wants to use you because God's got something special for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, and then we're done. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. Now, understand this. He's speaking to the church at Corinth. <laughs> if it was Philippi, if it was Ephesus, if, if it was Colossae, if it was the area of the churches of Galatia, you know, you might say, okay, there's, there's a lot more encouragement in those books and those verses of those books about those churches. Corinth was jacked up. Corinth was just jacked up, man. It seemed like they made a mess everywhere they went. And yet Paul still says, seeing therefore we have this ministry. You have this ministry. You ha you ha you're saved, 
You're, you're saved to serve. You're not saved to sit around. If you're not serving, get up off your butt and start serving because you're saved to serve. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we ain't quitting, verse 2. Let's go ahead and roll through these verses. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We're, doing, we're, we're trying to preach the word and teach the word and live the word and example the word. And then he says, but if our gospel be hid... It's hid to them that are lost. What is this ministry he's talking about? He says, there are those around us every day whom the God, little g, of this world, there's only one God of this world, it's the devil, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. Hold on, that, that light, that gospel, where's it at? We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake, verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure, the gospel light that lights every man's way. There are people who are wandering about in darkness all around you every day. And you've got light who lights a candle and puts it under a bushel? You don't share it. That's right. No. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. You are the earthen vessel. You have this gospel light inside of you, the excellency of the power of, uh, maybe of God and, and not of us. The fact of the matter is when we go out into the world and when we've got the gospel light to share with those who are lost, people look at us with curiosity and they say, what? You mean to tell me you got it? You mean to tell me God changed you? Anything, nobody could change you. God changed you. God wants to use you and he may use you in some unusual way. The question is not, does God want to use me, but do you want God to use you? Have you heard? Have you seen? Do you want, right? We have to open our ears and look by faith and not by reason. We have to be willing there is a big picture to this very confusing passage that there is going to be division over for as long as there's man on earth. But this is what I fully believe with everything that I am, that there is a spirit who is the spirit of God, the third person of the triune Godhead, who inspired this word and still lives in every believer today. And if you will seek the Lord for truth, he will lead and guide you into all truth. He will not lead you astray. If you earnestly with an honest even if it's an honest doubt, come before him and seek him. He'll reveal it to you. He'll reveal it to you. Amen. You know what's going to happen next week? Greg's going to bring the message next week of verse 37 through 47. He's going to bring the house down because we're going to see there's going to be thousands of people that get saved. Let it happen here too. Amen. Amen. Revival's going to happen and the church is going to be the church. Just like there was the, the promise of the filling, there'll be a filled up church.